I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to On the Continent at the World Cup. I'm Andy Brassel. I'm Nikki Pandini. And I'm Jonathan Johnson. On this edition, happy World Cup final day, everyone. It's France versus Argentina. It's Mbappe versus Messi. Everyone thinks they know what the perfect ending is meant to be. But are we missing the real meaning of legacy coming from the final? Also, Croatia take third place after beating Morocco in a match not quite as meaningless as some would have had you believe. How much of these two dark horses achieve in Qatar? Plus, European football says goodbye to one of its most recognisable and controversial characters. Yes, before we get into the climax of what has often been a thrilling World Cup, we just wanted to have a little word on the passing of Sinisa Mihailovic, uh, died aged 53 in Rome on Friday. Of course, well known for his part in that Red Star Belgrade win in the European Cup of 1991, his various adventures in Italy, those free kicks and a whole smorgasbord of coaching positions in Italy. And I guess we that close connection to Italy, the first place he uh, played abroad to, to any any sort of uh, significance, Nicky, um, we'll, we'll have you lead us off. What has the reaction been in Italy to the, the passing of Mihailovic, who was still an employed coach with Bologna until autumn? Oh, it's been an outpouring of grief, Andy, absolutely. There's so many people whose lives he's touched. You think he sort of played for and coached such a number of clubs up and down the country and and was such a force of personality 
ever he was of course as a player I think definitely most famous for that in Italy for that uh, Serie A title win with Lazio and Svengor and Eriksson but as a manager I feel like he's sort of without being someone who necessarily could say anything in management to match that achievement he wouldn't necessarily have something he could hold up as as the thing that he won as a manager that compared to what he did as a footballer he he still was someone who clearly had such an impact on his players I think especially in his last stop at Bologna because he's been having this battle with leukemia across the last three years he was in hospital and there were these amazing scenes in 2019 of the players going after a win to, to celebrate with him under the, hosp- under the hospital window. He came out of hospital, he went back into hospital a second time in 2021. It's been it's been a really emotional journey, I think, for, for everyone who's who's been close to him to see the way he lived all the way through to the end. I mean, he had this phrase, you know, life is not something that you live without problems. It's something that you live despite those problems. And I think the way he he carried himself was always a, a reflection of that. He he came from this sort of place of, of great hardship. You know, came to Italy having essentially just escaped war in his home country and did a war which touched him so personally. I'm sure everyone knows the, the stories, but he was in a part of the country that was essentially sort of a a central location in the war of creation independence and in which literally his childhood best friend was part of a a force that was taking the land where his family lived and I don't think I don't think that um that part of him that experience ever left him and I think it formed absolutely who he was as a man and as a manager and um a, a person who as a footballer and a manager certainly could be divisive and and plenty of people had their objections to some of the things he did but I think um who was absolutely not someone who you could forget or ignore the impact he had on people and Jonathan as a player a big part of your childhood would it be fair to say yeah I mean as I was saying pre-show I have fond memories of getting up early in the morning to watch Gazetta Football Italia and Mihailovic normally banging in some crazy free kick from uh, a very long distance out. But <laughs> I, th- I think Mihailovic, I mean, he's a fascinating character. And, it, you know, it was lovely to, to hear Nicky talking about him at length, obviously has seen more of his, certainly his managerial career um, than I have done. But he had some very, very sort of curious uh, episodes as well. I know Andy will be well-versed in what happened when he went to, to Sporting Lisbon. But, you know, he's a guy who played for Yugoslavia yet managed Serbia. And I think, if I'm not, uh, if I'm correct, he, the place that he was born is actually now part of Croatia. So, mm-hmm. you know, he's, he's somebody who, you know, has mm-hmm. this fascinating, uh, you know, background story as well. Uh, you know, and I think he, he's just one of those characters who certainly formed part of you know some of my fondest early memories of, uh, of of football i mean i can remember some crazy games in the euros where he was part of that yugoslavia team that you know was brimming with potential perhaps they didn't quite tap into it in the way that many of us thought that they would but uh, you know it didn't make him any less uh, you know of one of those kind of iconic uh, you know figures certainly i remember him uh, very well for for that Lazio side in the, that spell, uh, you know, around the beginning of the two thousands. I, I want to sort of say on the free kick, so we've so we've got it. He's literally the joint record holder ever for Serie A free kicks goals. Um, he's got twenty eight in Serie A, which is matched only by Andrea Pirlo. But as Mihailovic would often remind everyone. Pirlo played almost 200 more games than him, so they got the same number. <laughs> but Mihailovic got it in fewer games, and in his opinion, he was undoubtedly the number one 
Pirlo always pushed back a little bit and, 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 and had his own opinion. But Mihailovic was not just any old free kick. He was something really, really special for those who didn't see him. And, you know, to the point, I think even the university in Belgrade came and studied him one time. So someone really, really special in that regard. We have a bronze medal winner at this World Cup. I don't know if you knew it was a thing. I'm not sure if I knew it was a thing because the third, fourth place playoff often escapes real scrutiny. But uh, this was one worth watching um, on on Saturday afternoon where we had Croatia deservedly beat Morocco 2-1, perhaps a little bit flattering to the Moroccans. Um, We'll talk about what both of them gave to the tournament because that's really what I'd like to focus on here um but first Jonathan this was a surprisingly entertaining match wasn't it yeah absolutely I mean I you know I I think it's difficult to get really excited for third place playoffs but when you have seen history be made uh, as has been the case with uh, with Morocco you know being the first African and Arab team to to reach the stage of the World Cup they did uh, you know, I think so many people were willing them on to achieve, uh, you know, something sort of tangible that, that they could go away with. I mean, unfortunately, they, I mean, we, we say, you know, they end up finishing fourth place at this World Cup, like it's, you know, sort of also rounds. But, you know, that is a massive achievement in itself, uh, you know, mm. for them to be one of the final four uh, left standing. Uh, you know, and it was, I mean, unfortunately, I think their World Cup probably lasted a few games too many in terms of the players they had and the fitness levels because you could quite clearly see against France that some players had given everything for the cause uh, and unfortunately, you know, paid the price for that. But, uh, you know, it was it was a much more absorbing game uh, than I thought it would be. I didn't have particularly fond memories of the uh, of the third place playoff in 2018. <laughs> so I'm glad I'm glad that this one's changed my mind on them slightly. Nikki, Jonathan said absorbing there, and I think that's absolutely right. <laughs> Do you think it's because it actually meant something to the two teams involved in it who far exceeded expectations at this World Cup? It's it's really funny, Andy, because I feel like I have a different relationship to the third, fourth place game to most people because it's one of my sort of earliest vivid football memories is the third, fourth game between Italy and England at, at the World Cup Italian 90. Now, of course, I don't remember like a blow by blow. I, I was very young, but I remember the fact of it. And in my house, it was a big event because it was Italy and England. And so it seemed like an important game mm. to me as a, as a kid who didn't understand that third and fourth was, you know, not winning. Um, but um, I, I think this game was sort of the perfect recipe for a, a, a third, fourth game that mattered because... Um, Croatia, it's been pointed out, have reached uh, the have basically finished second or third in half of the World Cups they've ever been in, and that's a source of tremendous pride for a country of what is it, three it's million remarkable. people or so, and mm. um, and so for them it was it, it clearly meant a lot. You saw Luka Modric, who, by the way, absolutely is at a point of his career where I think lots of players be like, mm, not interested in this, going back to my European club and got other things to do was one of the the hardest working players out there this game I thought was was everywhere frankly and and has been all tournament and then clearly for Morocco of course the first African team in a semi-final it's it's got a different resonance to try and compete for that that third place I think it also to me felt kind of perfect as well the way it starts with two goals from centre-backs because who's going to relish a World Cup goal in any context, you know, whether it's in um, a third, fourth place game or any other game, more than a centre-back. Those are two players who don't necessarily expect to ever score a goal at at a big tournament in their life who now, for the rest of their lives, have scored a goal at a World Cup. And so I I think there was sort of 
all these sort of little interweaving extra motivations for the people involved in the game that made it different to 2018 when I agree completely the 2018 game felt like a game that absolutely nobody involved in it wanted any part of. And in the case of Joshua Gvardiol, not only did he score a goal with that mask on, which he's become so synonymous with all tournament, but one of his teammates actually tweaked him on the nose after <laughs> he scored it. I'm, I'm not quite sure who that is. Maybe listeners, you can tell us. Or obviously, you can always get in touch at Football Ramble, at Andy Brassel, at Nicky Bandini, and at John underscore Legossip. A lot of questions here, actually. Um, we're going to come to... Um, we're going to come to Croatia in a, in, in a minute, but I want to concentrate on Morocco at the moment because um, we've got a question here from Fetsi on Twitter about Azadine Unai, who I know you know pretty well, and Ange would sell, I think it's fair to say, uh, this January, Jonathan. Um, is he that good, says Fetsi, or is he just another James Rodriguez? I'll, I'll take that as an enormous compliment if I was Unai. <laughs> that said, watching him with Modric out there, can we expect Real Madrid to sign him from 50 million for 50 million euros? I mean, he will be on the move. And for all the other players who've ticked our boxes for Morocco throughout this tournament, and I'm, I'm sure this has given a lot of them some, some cachet in the January market, Unai is one who's surely nailed on to move. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think many people are expecting Angers to cash in. In fact, I mean, Angers themselves are in quite an interesting situation where they look very, very likely to go down in Liga. They're potentially in the process of being sold. Uh, you know, uh, there could be a change of ownership there, yet they've now got two really saleable assets from this Morocco team, because don't forget they've also got Sofiane Bouffal uh, in attack as well. Uh, and there's already an expectation that Ben Taleb, uh, you know, I know uh, Premier League and Bundesliga fans might recall him from a few years ago. Uh, you know, he's basically been their best player. But Unahi is somebody who has stood out in the stats despite what has been a very, very difficult season for Angers. So I guess, uh, you know, if Florentino Perez does pick up the phone, uh, you know, and get in touch with Angers, that is the proof that he is this uh, the World Cup's uh James Rodriguez. Um, but, you know, I think there's a number of players in that Morocco side now who many clubs will be looking at. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if some clubs are also considering uh, Rig Rugby as well, because obviously he's a dual national, uh, grew up in France, and to have seen what he's done, uh, you know, both in Moroccan football now with the national team as well, I'm sure that there's probably some clubs in France who might be considering, uh, you know, giving him a go. But then you've got Amrabat as well, who, you know, everybody is already talking up. Uh, you know, potential big, big move for him. So, uh, you know, I think quite a few of these uh, these Moroccan guys could see themselves on the move in, in January because a lot of them play at clubs who would not necessarily say no if a, if a bigger team comes knocking on their door with a, with, a, with quite a hefty check. Uh, Nicky, who has impressed you in this Morocco team? And also, talking of Regragui, this really reflects well on him. Remember, he's only been in charge for nine games since he took over from Vaid Haliodzic. He has done an extraordinary job. We knew the talent was there with Morocco, but do we feel that they could go on to maybe be Africa's best team in the next couple of years with the talent they've got and if the coach they've got stays? I mean, certainly this puts them as, as the front runners too, doesn't it? I think when you've, you've done this at a big tournament, but they've, they, they haven't... Uh, I don't have the year in front of me. I think they haven't won the Africa Cup of Nations since the 60s. I, I haven't got the year in front of me. Someone mm. might be able to, to give me the detail on that. So they have got some, some I guess, um, catching up to do in, in that context. And in terms of players who've, who've impressed me, Andy, I mean, 
the best player on this team, in my opinion, through the tournament is the most obvious one, Ashraf Hakimi, but that's not going to surprise anyone. Like he's a, he's a wonderful footballer. I've obviously seen him be brilliant um, in Serie A and, and he's continued to be brilliant since leaving Serie A. I, I think the one, and I feel a bit predictable going to another Serie A player who's, who's surprised me the most is, is Amrabat because not that he's been um, a, a nothing player for Fiorentina, but he, he hasn't had the easiest of starts there. It took him, um, you know, a season effectively sitting as, as Terreira's understudy at, at Fiorentina, which is not what he would have hoped for when he went there. And this season he has been starting and, and Vincenzo Italiano's impact on him is is certainly coming to bear. But I haven't seen him as absolutely sort of commanding as I have at, at this tournament. It, he sort of felt like that, um, you know, that, that sort of Makalele Kante ability in front of a defence just to hoover up absolutely everything um, has really stood out in this team and I think it's something that a lot of Fiorentina fans have been looking at and going great now come back and and do that for us and and be as impactful as as, as you are for for us and in fact you know talking about um, transfers there's been this immediate sort of wave of of anxious reporting actually in the local press in Florence about and now who's going to sign him is he going to extend his contract there's an option I think to extend his contract to 2025 so um there's a lot of anxiety about it but I think he's been really really impressive and I think that um the whole defense obviously has been brilliant um and there's been so many players who've clearly sort of gone above and beyond their levels um but I think especially when you consider the turnover the injuries at the back there's been Amrabat's work shielding that defence has been really, really important. Uh, now, just to clarify, our producer tells me it's 1976, the last Sorry, and only you. time that Morocco won AFCON. I had no idea either. So yeah, <laughs> there you go. But clearly it's an epochal achievement for them, how deep they've gone into this tournament, JJ. I mean, the remarkable thing, as we mentioned on previous OTCs and Rambles, the fact that they've effectively played three derbies really in this because they played France where there's huge Moroccan population um, Belgium uh, Spain as, as as well so a very particular path as well as playing strong teams teams that they have a very strong uh, cultural connection with um, over there in France what has been the reaction to what Morocco have done I think there's been uh, you know a lot of uh, you know respect recognition uh, for what's been achieved um, you know, obviously, there's no sh- shortage of, uh, of French links as well. I mean, when talking about this Moroccan achievement, I like to point out that it's a cycle that started with Ebi uh, Hana, who obviously, uh, you know, pulled off one of the shocks of the World Cup in, in leading Saudi Arabia to beat Argentina in the opening group game, uh, but also uh, Hali Lodzic, because without the work of those two guys to persuade some of those players who weren't born in Morocco, uh, you know, some of those players with dual nationality to actually declare to play for Morocco, you could argue that the squad wouldn't be, uh, you know, as talent-filled as, as it is now. So, you know, there is a recognition in France that, uh, you know, this is, an, this is a national team that has, you know, really come on leaps and bounds, uh, you know, has performed very well at this World Cup. And I think there is now... A curiosity to see if they do become sort of you know the the leading power in uh, in African football, and I think you know sort of there has been it's been on the radar for a while that they were building up to something uh, you know with the investment that they made in in terms of their youth facilities, um, and, you know and it's finally 
you know, starting to, to bear fruit now. So it will be really interesting to see if uh, Reguagui feels that he can take this Moroccan side any further. But, uh, you know, I think that, you know, they will already have inspired, uh, you know, a lot of Moroccans to, to potentially declare or players of Moroccan heritage to, to declare in the future. Uh, you know, and I think that Morocco will also be an inspiration for some of these other national teams that also, uh, you know, have quite strong links with uh, France and other countries, say, for example, Algeria, who could probably pull off, uh, you know, quite a similar thing, given some of the talents that they also have who could declare for the country. You make a really interesting point, actually, there, JJ, not just about the investment in um, the academy system and an academy facility in, in, in Morocco, which has obviously been a lot, but also um, the, the parallels with Croatia in terms of the Croatian diaspora, um, all the other players that, that come from various other parts of Europe um, due to uh, their post-war situation. Um I mean, the interesting thing with them, Nicky, is they've got the bigger names than Morocco, but there's not that level of investment back home. So it makes their story even more remarkable. The question, I guess, is, is it about this very gifted generation led by Luka Modric? Have they been a little bit overrated in this tournament, as Luke, for example, on the on, on the Ramble suggested? Not necessarily something I, I agree with, but something that's been put out there. And also, they've... They've got something very concrete to aim for next, haven't they? Because uh, before we even get to the the Euros, they're in the Nations League coming uh, final four coming in the the summer, which you have to presume Modric is going to hang on for. I mean, there's there's no reason for him to to back out of international football at the moment, the way he's playing. And they've got Guardiola, Lovro Meyer, who I know JJ knows very well as well. There, there is. The green shoots of something new growing there and something to step into for the new generation guided by the old generation yeah i mean the, it's very difficult andy when you talk about a team that has been centered around a specific generational talent luka modric has been one of the best footballers in the world in the last decade or more um and those players don't spring up every now and then. I think really a lot of people in in broad terms, not the people probably who listen to this podcast, none of us sitting here have been ignorant to, to what how good he is. But I think because the conversation for the last decade and a half has been Ronaldo versus Messi, Modric, who maybe wasn't ever quite as transformational as those two, but was not that far behind, hasn't got quite as much acknowledgement as he should have done for quite what a generational player he is. And when he goes which he will. I mean, the next World Cup, he'll be 41, right? Um, mm. You're not going to just be able to snap your fingers and replace that. And some of the players who have been operating around in, in that space are also not getting younger. Perisic has been a, a top-level footballer and he's going to be 37 for the next World Cup, I think. Brozovic might be at the next one, but he's, he'll be mid-30s definitely by then, 34, 35. These are really, really top top tier footballers who you're not going to be able to just snap your your fingers and replace and yes there are some really impressive players coming through Guardiola obviously has been a headline maker at this tournament um but in the same way that you can't just expect to have another Leo Messi or another Cristiano Ronaldo you don't get to just have another Luka Modric and I do think probably it's not an unreasonable thing to say that they would not have been to a third place game and a World Cup final at successive tournaments without Luka Modric. Um, so 
it all depends what your expectations are, I suppose, of the group. Um, I think there's uh, things to be encouraged about and there's no reason why you can't continue to build a strong team. But of course, again, without wanting to make it all about one player, but when you lose a player that good, it's, it's not like you can just expect things to be as good afterwards like Andy was saying earlier I mean I think there are there are many reasons to feel quite optimistic I mean for example you've got somebody like Juranovic who I think has really put himself uh you know in the shot window with his performances in this yeah. tournament uh Maya uh you know Andy's right I'm a, I'm a big fan of his uh, I'm curious to see how long Ren can keep a hold of him uh but the one question I, I have uh, and many people have over this Croatia team is how are they going to find somebody who basically replaces Mandzukic in terms of being that focal point of the attack, but also a reliable goal scorer? Uh, you know, there is a possibility, I guess, uh, even though um, Dalic, I think he said that he'll be staying on for the for the moment as coach, there's a possibility that either he mends his bridges with uh, Rebic uh, or potentially when he moves on at some point, you know, Rebic maybe comes back into selection contention. Not saying necessarily that he'd be the solution to those goal-scoring woes, but um, you know, it just feels like they perhaps need to unearth uh, an, a, a consistent goal scorer. Because you look at that position in terms of the players that they took to the to the World Cup, all of those players are like either in their late twenties or into their thirties. So you're kind of waiting for that emerging talent to to come to the fore. Uh, you know, perhaps it could be a, a Brechkelo or a, somebody like that. It's it's going to be really interesting to see. I love the idea of them crowning it all or Modric crowning it all with a, a Nations League title. Nicky, I wonder how much, as JJ says, that will mean six months down the line. I mean, do you think this World Cup has made people feel a little bit differently about international football? Because... Of course, there's been a lot of stuff off the pitch which we can't ignore and we haven't ignored and will continue to not ignore. But in, in terms of the actual football, I feel despite quite a large part of nil-nil draws, especially with um, Morocco and Croatia going far, it's, it's got the pulse racing a, a little bit. You know, I was resting with this myself earlier, Andy, and, and you can tell me how you feel about this and, and Jonathan as well. I think when I was younger, I had definitely this sort of feeling that club football was the superior kind of football and then as I've got a little bit older I increasingly think actually you know there's so much that's horrible with the setup of club football where money just decides everything like there's something simpler about international football of course money still decides a lot frankly but it it doesn't have the same power to just completely determine which team's going to win a tournament that it does in club football sometimes and I was thinking to myself, is that just a thing that everyone thinks when they get older? Because I remember having conversations with older grown-ups when I was younger who said the same thing to me. Oh, modern football's rubbish and, you know, it's all ruined by money, but at least international football is just like this. Is this just what happens when we get old, Andy? Maybe. I mean, I've, I've spoken to a few people about this World Cup in particular who feel that the way it has gone on the pitch, on the mm. pitch, is good for sport. And I, I think there's something to be said for that certainly um I, I don't necessarily think that means it's a higher form of football because I, I think i don't know about you jj i think the champions league is is still that if we're talking about football it is technically excellent best mm. but this has felt like a purer form of sport which given that it's governed by fifa and the background <laughs> around the tournament it's a weird juxtaposition isn't it 
It is indeed. Uh, I'm glad that you used the word pure um, because I I was going to use that. I think international football, when, uh, you know, the stakes are high as as they are at a World Cup, certainly once you get into the knockout phase, it's difficult to find something that can generate better drama because at the end of the day, the playing field is about as level as it ever will be because you can't really change the nationality or nationalities that you have in front of you when you're when you're born of the, the countries that you can play for. Yes, we've seen uh, you know some people being naturalised after spending a, a number of years in, uh, in in a country, but it's it's still very difficult to sort of doctor a national football team in the same way that you can shape the you know a squad. Could you imagine any footballer celebrating? I know we talked about at the beginning of this segment, the third, fourth game, does it matter? Can you imagine any footballer celebrating a Champions League third place medal like some of the Croatia players celebrated this third place? It does. Mm. It does hit different. It does. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Now, we're not going to apologize for saying happy World Cup final day for the, the second uh, segment in a row because that's what it is France versus Argentina. And as we get into the build up of it, there will be um, a final preview of a different kind between Pete and Jim live on the Ramble Twitch, building up to this from 1.45, reacting to the lineup. So if you want a Ramble flavor to see you into the final, get over there today. Now, Maybe the, the final that everyone really wanted was France versus Brazil. I spoke to a lot of people in Doha who said that from the very beginning, that that was the dream final, and I have sympathy with that. But this does feel fitting. Now, everyone's talking about this being the crowning moment of Messi's legacy. But actually, it would mean so much for Mbappe because when we're looking at Mbappe, we're looking at someone who could become the first since Pelé, to win it in two, or the youngest since Pele to win it in two successive World Cups. Um, Pele managed that in 58 and 62, although he didn't play in the final in 62, of course. He's already scored loads more goals than Pele, Maradona, Messi, Ronaldo, any of those did at a World Cup before the age of, of, of 24. What would this mean to him? do you think? Because I guess a lot of people out there are thinking it's a last chance for Messi. 
Mbappe will have a load of others. He won't be seeing it like that, will he? I mean, you know, he is breaking records. Uh, I'm not going to say at an alarming rate, but at an astonishing rate, uh, you know, both uh, for club and country. Uh, you know, and there's no denying it. We do expect that he will be a Ballon d'Or winner at some point in the future. And if he does help France to, uh, you know, the World Cup uh, this weekend, you know, suddenly his argument to potentially pick up the Ballon d'Or as soon as the, you know, next year, uh, you know, is strengthened. Uh, the the big difference between sort of Messi and Mbappe, I think, is Mbappe, if he's successful, yes, there will be a lot of, uh, you know, individual accolades that come his way, but it will absolutely be a team success. You know, you can't look at what France have done uh, and not consider Antoine Griezmann one of the outstanding performers of this tournament, uh, if not the outstanding performer. And obviously, yes, you know, Mbappe has chipped in with a couple of important goals, broken some records, uh, you know, but it's, 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 not all, it, it's not all about him. Uh, whereas with Messi, it seems like all of this Argentina narrative is not necessarily about Argentina winning their third World Cup. It's Messi winning with his final shot uh, at glory. So I think, uh, you know, Mbappe, you know, it would definitely put him on, uh, on a new trajectory. Mbappe is potentially going from playing for the World Cup to potentially playing for the Champions League as well. Two major uh, achievements within the space of six months of each other. And, you know, I think that would be, uh, you know, sort of a, a determining moment in terms of, uh, you know, whether he wins his first Ballon d'Or, what many people expect with the first of May. I mean, Nicky, many people looked about, if, if, say, we were going to come to the inevitable semi-final between Argentina and Brazil, that many considered was inevitable anyway, you look at it and you think, well, there's this close relationship between Messi and Neymar. There always has been. Uh, they've been very close since Barcelona. But you have these interesting little relationships between Messi and lots of people in that French team, don't you? Because you look at, for example, him and Mbappe, who... I think it's clear respect each other, but they're not close by any stretch of the imagination. And it's clear that if France win later today, it will feel like some handing over the torch. You know, there's no way it cannot feel like that. Then you have the relationship between um, Messi and Griezmann, which was a little bit more uncomfortable at Barcelona with it being Messi's team with Griezmann being used to being a team leader, however much he tried to be subordinate to, 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 to Messi, at which, which was his club. You've even got the fact that Usman Dembele sort of ended up under Messi's wing a little bit at Barcelona, and Messi was a really big promoter of him and, and believer in him. So there's a lot going on here, isn't there? Yeah, I was wondering if you're going to get to Dembele and, and the fact in some ways that no more Messi at Barcelona is coincided with Dembele finally getting sort of such a, a more central role in, in some way and mm. and look this is what happens when you are um, one of the best players on the planet and you're 35 years old and you've been doing it for a very long time I suppose is that your career intersects with, with lots of other ones um, there's never been any doubt that this final if Argentina were in it the, Argentine, the Argentinian side of it is going to be the Leo Messi um, angle and I the interesting thing is, unquestionably, Messi has been magnificent. And I think in some ways, a lot of the things he does that are brilliant don't even get 
noticed that much. I think if you look at his um, assist on, I think it was the third goal against um, Croatia, it's it's not just the work he does turning Guardiola inside out. If you go back to the beginning of the move, he's there on half like halfway and he tells Alvarez to go and sort of stand between him and Guardiola so he can turn and get the running start. Like he, he sort of literally manoeuvres him into position and goes, right, you get there and I can do this. It has been Messi's story. It has been his tournament. And I think in a certain sense, that's just the story of Leo Messi. It was his story at Barcelona. He's the main character. If you're going to tell a story about a football team with Leo Messi in it, I suppose perhaps until this PSG team where things are a bit more more blurred, he's always been the main character, but especially for Argentina. But I think it is nevertheless true that if they win this tournament, if they actually go ahead and do it, with without diminishing the fact that he has been the single most important player, it will be specifically because he hasn't had to do everything on his own. And I do think mm. Alvarez's importance is probably still understated in the way that perhaps Griezmann's importance was understated a few games ago. Alvarez's hasn't quite caught up yet because if you look at the difference in this Argentina team before and after he came into it, it is huge. I think it's a really fascinating question for this final. Will they stick with that 4-4-2 and, and have him up front? Or will they go back to 4-3-3? Because in the early games, Di Maria was good. But I think 11 of Argentina's 12 goals have been scored with Alvarez on the pitch. None of the goals they've conceded with Alvarez on the pitch. Having him on there, being a more conventional number nine, pushing that line up, giving Messi a foil up front has completely changed this Argentina team in a way that I still don't know if it's been appreciated as much as it could have been in amongst the story of Messi and his main character story. Well, for six, seven, eight years, I think that's totally right. Messi has needed those legs around him, hasn't he, to do the running for him. I think that's part of the reason why he's got such respect for Kylian Mbappe, because Mbappe is not only either is or going to be the, the best player in the world, but he's someone who's capable of being altruistic as well, which definitely helps Messi uh, at club level. Jonathan, you talked about the Ballon d'Or there and how that will inevitably be Mbappe's at some point. What about the current Ballon d'Or? Um, we've got uh, one from LUHG here, which says simply, thoughts on Benzema. We'll come to that in a second. <laughs> and if he could ride in on his white horse. There's also one from Simon saying... Win or lose, what does the future hold for Deschamps? Will he stay or will he go? And if he goes, where will he end up? I mean, what do we think, Jonathan? Has, has this been a successful tournament for Deschamps? Because it feels to me there were so many occasions, starting right back in the first game when they lost that goal to Australia and Luca Hernandez was seriously injured in the build-up. There were loads of occasions when f previous French teams, very talented previous French teams, would have been blown off course but they've stood up to everything. And it does feel like a success, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely, it does. Uh, you know, I think Deschamps proved the doubters wrong. Uh, and I also think in many ways, uh, it's kind of rejuvenated uh, potentially uh, his time with the, with the national team. I mean, since they got to, uh, the, got to the semi-finals, there's been talk that he'll now stay on for another two years uh, until 2024. We'll see if the, uh, the investigation into the French Football Federation changes that and potentially forces 
some sort of clearing of house, which could potentially pave the way for a new coach to come in. But also, you know, nobody knows what Deschamps might decide after the World Cup final. I mean, should France win, you know, maybe he says, you know, I'm I'm done here. I'm happy to to sign off with this achievement, and maybe looks to get back into the club game. Uh, you know, it's we'll, we'll just have to wait and see. But I certainly think that. What he's achieved just underlines how Didier Deschamps is almost the perfect manager for this kind of tournament, this kind of scenario. Uh, and I actually think that had France not suffered the injury crisis going into the tournament, that they would have actually been out of the World Cup by now because the chemistry was not as good uh, when Deschamps had you know, this uh, embarrassment of riches to choose from. Once his options uh, you know, started thinning because of the because of the injuries, he was grateful to have that core of guys who have won the, uh, the 2018 World Cup in his squad. You know, he can still call on his captain, uh, Loris, uh, can still put Varane out on the pitch at the heart of defence. Uh, you can still have Griezmann pulling the strings in midfield, have Giroud leading the attack with, uh, you know, with Mbappe using his pace to, to cut into teams. Uh, you know, and I think that is where, you know, Deschamps, you know, gained a bit more strength. But the interesting thing that this does do is if Deschamps stays on, suddenly, that means Zinedine Zidane is back on the market because the feeling was that him going to PSG didn't happen over the summer because he was waiting. He basically received some hint that there was going to be a change of coach after the World Cup in uh, in Qatar. And now, obviously, with France going so far, that doesn't seem like it's nailed on anymore. Uh, you know, and the fact that uh, you know. You, you asked me about Benzema earlier, or the question sent in was about Benzema. You've got some moody Instagram posts from Benzema, uh, sort of <laughs> potentially hinting at the fact that he won't be going to Qatar, but also, uh, you know, hinting that uh, Zidane won't be there as well, suggests that, I don't know, maybe there is some truth to those reports that Zidane felt like he was being lined up for the France job and that offer is no longer, or that possibility is no longer on the table. So it, it is going to be a really interesting. Uh, one to see where Deschamps goes next. But during the Euros, France looked like they'd lost their way a bit, Deschamps himself included. Uh, you know, and I think they've found that path once again. And it underlines that the changes Deschamps tried to make at the beginning of his France reign, getting rid of some of the egos and the problematic characters and focusing on actually forming a team still has a lot of value and, uh, uh, and importance. I want to take it back a step and talk about the player of the tournament. I mean, you touched on... Antoine Griezmann there, and we'll ask JJ about this in a minute as as, as well. Um, for me, player of the tournament so far, how feasible do you think that is? Because whether Messi makes it or falls painstakingly short, it feels that you know he's touched people in a way that you know FIFA or the organisers or the people who decide this sort of thing will want to acknowledge it. Who do you think will get the player of the tournament? Is there a scenario in which Messi can't get it? Is my question. <laughs> and who do you think should get it? I, I think it is. I think it will be Messi. And I, and I actually think it should be Messi. Um, I, I think you could have probably made a case for Modric right up until they, they didn't beat Argentina. Um, mm. And and didn't not just didn't just not beat Argentina, but in the end were, were beaten very resoundingly. I think you could make a case for Griezmann, certainly. But I... I think the thing is, I made the case for, for Alvarez a few minutes ago, and I think that's a really important case. And I think also that, that case to me ties back a bit to something that came up in, in our previous section about Croatia and needing a centre forward. And I think that one of the, the subplots of this tournament for me is in the end, two teams have made the final that have a centre forward that 
is a really can be a top level centre forward and Alvarez interprets it in his own way but Giroud's effectiveness has clearly been really important for France at certain points but I just think when it comes down to it there's been three knockout games for Argentina and in every single one of them Messi has done something transformative for those games now perhaps um there are other players in each of those games who've also been really important but it was his goal against argentina against australia sorry it was him who found that absurd assist for molina that you know i couldn't have seen with an overhead view and a set of pens and a a replay button um (laughs) and it was him who who scored the penalty and then came up with another ridiculous assist for Alvarez against Croatia in in all of those games he's been transformative and I think that in the end is what the spirit of those awards is about um if Croatia had got through maybe you could have ended up giving it to Lovakovic even because he'd had a transformative impact in the knockout rounds until he didn't but Messi's done it every single knockout round and now they're in the final I don't know if the award might be influenced what happens in the final but I don't think there's one single French player who I would say has been as um, individually decisive as Messi has been for Argentina. And so in the end, I think that's that's why it would come down for Messi for me. I, I agree um, largely regarding Messi, but I also disagree because I, I think that Antoine Griezmann, for me, considering where he was at coming into the World Cup, uh, and suddenly the role that he's kind of rediscovered in the, the French team or, you know, the, this, this importance that he's, uh, you know, has been redistributed to him. I, I, I don't think that can be ignored. Sure, you know, maybe some of the assists haven't been as eye-catching. I mean, I don't think that his assist for, for, for Giroud's second, uh, for the second goal against England was to be sniffed at. You know, that was a, a, a perfect ball in. But yeah, unfortunately for Griezmann, a lot of what he's done you have to sort of watch the match back and analyze what he's done to, to measure the, the impact. It's not always, uh, you know, being measured, uh, you know, by assists or, or something like that, because I think Griezmann came out of the group stage already leading, uh, you know, the World Cup for chances created, for example, and has since added uh, handsomely to, to that number and that performance statistically. Uh, but I, I think it's, it's definitely a close one. But if I was to give it to a French player, I'd be going leaning more towards Griezmann than I would do Mbappe. Yeah, that, that's it. I mean, personally, I'd rather do Duke of Edinburgh with Griezmann, but there can only be one Ray Liotta in Goodfellas, I think is possibly the way to put it. Before I push you for predictions, because that's how we've got to end this show. There's no question about that. We do have one from John relating to this. What does the future of this Argentina team look like after Messi has retired? I mean, it all feels a bit dystopian after what we've just <laughs> talked about. The only thing I can think of, it looks like Leandro Paredes knocking people up in the air four times a game. <laughs> um, how do they deal with that, Nikki? Because it feels to me, win or lose today, this is going to be the end for, for, for Messi and Argentina. Yeah, I mean... You know, in a sense, it's it's a similar conversation to the Croatia conversation for me. There's quite a lot of young players in this team who who are good and have been good. Um, you know, Romero at, at centre back, Molina at, at full back, both had good tournaments. Julian Alvarez, we've been talking about, 22 years old, is a brilliant footballer. 
Um, Fernandez in midfield, I think, had a strong tournament. He's 21. There's a lot of players in this team who are young and 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 quite promising. Um, even um, McAllister as well, I think, has had a, a good tournament and, and and perhaps caught the eye of some people um, watching him from Brighton. But you don't just replace the Messi, do you? You just don't. Um, and so who knows? It will it will become a a new thing and a new shape, and perhaps it will become a team in which Lautaro Martinez eventually finds his role alongside Alvarez and, and, and that becomes a strike partnership that, that can go somewhere. There's there's no shortage of talent there, but the team right now is just inevitably a series of, of I guess, um, moons orbiting around Leo Messi as, as the central planet. And until he goes, you can't know what the rest of that solar system to continue my terrible analogy will look like (laughs) (laughs) i mean i think as well um with with this argentina team they depend so much on the veteran presences it's not just Messi. uh you know it's guys like di maria as well otamendi yes uh you know and i think i can see there being some teething problems uh assuming that scaloni stays on uh as manager uh you know for the for the next generation of argentina like like nikki said no shortage of talent but I think it's difficult to see sort of what system is going to work because, you know, obviously guys like uh, Lautaro Martinez, you know, they are very good quality players. I don't believe that he's done himself uh, justice at the World Cup to his talent. In fact, I think he's one of the few players who's gone to a World Cup and almost knocked a few million off his, uh, you know, valuation based on some of the performances we've seen. But uh, no, I mean, I, I do think that there is potentially a future that doesn't look as bleak as many people would assume it looks post-Messi but I do think that the separation with some of those older members of the squad has to happen sooner rather than later because let's face it Di Maria at this stage in his career is basically hanging on until the end of the season he'll go back to Argentina play uh, you know at least one season there and probably retire you know he's had a great career achieved a lot but you know, this is not just going to be Messi's last dance. It's going to be a, a last dance for a number of these guys. So, Nikki, prediction? I, I said at the start of this tournament that I did not think Argentina were the best team in the tournament, but just some part of me believes that some way, somehow, Leo Messi gets his gets his moment and, and the tournament ends that way. And the way things have fallen since only sort of reinforces that slightly destiny-based prediction because it feels like things have fallen exactly the way they needed to for that to happen. You know, Brazil getting eliminated to to, to clear the path for them. Um, the injuries that pushed Alvarez into the team that has improved the side. It And now, who knows, because I think no one outside the French camp knows exactly how severe this is. Even this sort of wave of illnesses that suddenly has beset France, which is incredibly unfortunate. And I can't stop thinking about... Um, Ronaldo at, with Brazil before the final and and everything that happened um I I just think there's this feeling in my head that this is exactly the sort of way I imagined it could have happened if it was going to happen all of these dominoes were just going to fall in exactly the right way so I can't turn away from my prediction now I, I think France have got the better team but I think some way somehow Leo Messi ends up with that trophy in his hands care to differ JJ 
I do actually, and the funny thing is, I predicted Argentina would win the World Cup uh, to start with going into the tournament. I I reckoned that they would knock Brazil out in the semis and and ultimately uh, go on and win it, and Messi would would ultimately lift the trophy. But I'm actually going to go back on that um, to to put people's minds at ease. I I think the guys who were ill in the French camp have trained on the eve of the match, so you know there is a a feeling that most of them will come through. In fact, I think there's more concern in the French camp that Giroud picked up a knock in uh, in training and might not be fit enough to start. That would obviously change the the dynamic a lot. But you know, let's wait and see uh, what what team gets put out on the pitch. But I'm actually going to go for a one nil France win. I think France are extremely pragmatic. I didn't think that they would get this far, but I also didn't think that sort of the spirit of of 2018 would. Uh, uh, you know, be rediscovered. So for me, I've I've gone back on my original prediction, uh, and unfortunately for Messi, uh, in my prediction, it's going to have a sad ending. The Football Ramble is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network.